Welcome back to episode number 66 of the NP Dude. This is Jeff the NP Dude giving nurse practitioners a voice. That's all of our voices, guys, so keep those questions and comments, concerns, headaches, problems, stories, whatever's bugging you has got to be bugging all of us. So send them to me, jeff at the npdude.com. You can also catch me on Facebook and PM me there as well. Uh, don't forget I'm on iTunes, guys. I'm getting a lot of people on iTunes just popping in and saying, hey, I'm over here, I'm listening, um, but I'm not getting a lot of, lot, lot of huge increase in likes on Facebook. I think I'm like, I don't know, 830, 829, somewhere in there. And so um, if you're on iTunes and you're listening to the show and you like what you hear and you want to support what I'm doing, just give me a like. That's all I'm asking for right now. I just want people to, to spread the word about the show, get this thing to grow so we can we can have a common voice out there, explain ourselves a little bit and, and uh, do that within our own community and outside of our community. And so I got one that's kind of a neat one, and um, I've had some correspondence with somebody that's that's kind of outside of our community, but kind of inside our community, and it's kind of tied to both, and and uh, it's kind of a unique situation, and and uh, I think it's worthwhile talking about this, and I'm not going to use names, and I'm not going to talk about really what their background is too much, but let's just say they're both um, nursing background, a lot of nurses in the family, a lot of lot of history there, uh, as well as um, going to med school. And I'm not going to say what kind of med school, but it's, it's general enough. I'm not going to get anybody mad at me. And um, kind of responded, didn't really know anything about the show, and asked me some questions. And uh, and I kind of fired back, well, just watch the show or listen to the show. And, and I, you know, I didn't really have a lot of time. And I, so I, I wanted to apologize because when, when I responded back, I was I was mowing the yard. I was doing stuff. It was over the weekend, and, and I got a ton of stuff piled up. I'm really behind on stuff around the house. So... I'm trying to get stuff done, and, and I am also trying to field some questions. And if I can shoot back a quick response, I will. You know, trying to answer something. But a lot of times, when I'm trapped in my car, is when I'm going to talk about it. And so, if you're new to this show, I'm I'm driving as I speak. I'm flying down the road, trying to get home, and um, to get ready to go baseball games and back to craziness. So this is my solace. This is my my peace. Is is sitting down with the microphone and going through and talking to you guys and go and, and kind of venting and and sometimes I'm I'm uh, educating sometimes I'm venting sometimes asking my own questions like how the hell do we deal with these things and so that's that's kind of where I'm coming from now um, some of the questions and th- th- this person gave me some great things to think about and and I really appreciate those responses back so I, I you know who you are if you're listening out there I, I really really appreciate the feedback. Um, and, and here's basically what we, we came down to is that that um, my my responses through my podcast have been somewhat um, received as um, sarcastic towards physicians, and I say yes, they are. <laughs> All right. So now that doesn't mean that I don't appreciate what they do, and, and that I don't appreciate the level of education that they have. I say repeatedly on this show that physicians have more in-depth education on a lot of things than nurse practitioners do. But I do feel that a lot of that information is to get you to pick what specialty you do when you go into your residency. So if you go into endocrinology, you don't need to have this huge, giant, in-depth knowledge of, you know, maybe the integumentary system as you would everything else. Now, do you need a good foundation? Absolutely. And so do nurse practitioners. So I'm not I'm not justifying why physicians are more in-depth than the other. But here's a good example. My brother's a physician. He's orthopedics. If you asked him how to diagnose strep throat today, he wouldn't know how to... I mean, he would basically know, but that's only because his kids get sick. So the, the level of knowledge that he's had and has lost is no longer valuable. 
So it's enough information to get you great in-depth information to go do your specialty. That's always going to be there. Physicians aren't going away for that, and I say that all the time. But what you do you need to be, you know, understand the Krebs cycle? And yes, I do. And yes, I was taught that in my undergrad nursing. And but do you need to understand that to, to know which antibiotic to give for what symptoms you see in a patient? It's ridiculous. No, you don't. So the, the level of depth that you, you go, I think, on some things isn't really necessarily needed. So, I, um, I, But I thought that was interesting that there's a, um, definitely a differentiation. Now, th- this, this individual did give me some good things and gave me some good feedback and said, you know, I like what you're doing, I like what you're saying, and I'm trying to learn what nurse practitioners know and do because this is somebody that's in med school. They're not out yet. Okay, and so I think that's fantastic, and I applaud you for being willing to say, you know what, I'm going to put the differences aside and understand what what it takes to become a nurse practitioner. So, what does it take to become a nurse practitioner? Well, you have to have a four-year bachelor's degree in nursing first. So, what does that mean? What does it take to get your bachelor's degree in nursing? So you do, and I did mine in 15 months because I already had a bachelor's degree. So I literally started clinicals that week I started. So I started touching patients a week in not knowing anything about being a nurse. But it was doing basic stuff. It was helping them get cleaned up. It was helping them get dressed, helping them with ADLs. And it, was, it mirrored what we did in the class. So by the time I got done in 15 months, I was working with critical care patients Working with vented patients, uh, titrating drips, um, do, you know, doing some pretty sophisticated stuff that that um, would scare a lot of residents when they, you know, if they weren't in in that type of setting. And I've seen residents in teaching facilities. Mercy that I worked at was a teaching facility, and I saw the residents come down, and I saw the fear in their eyes when there was a coat. And there should be fear in your eyes because if you're not scared during that, then there's something wrong with you. But you can't be, you know, scared, non-functionally scared, right? You got to still function, and and so that you know that that's that's no different so far, right? But the big difference from nursing to med school is that you get nursing hands-on experience literally from almost day one. Now, in the undergrad four-year program, what I what I had heard, and I didn't do that one, so I don't know firsthand. But I think you start clinicals in second year. So sophomore year, you do first year of like basic stuff, entry level stuff. Then you start your 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 clinicals, and so you do a you know two to three years of clinicals, which is touching patients, listening to patients, doing assessments, uh, and and guess what? The physical assessment I learned in my bachelor's degree was almost what I did as as an as a graduate school doing nurse practitioner, because they took it that seriously. They wanted you to be able to catch the things that physicians, nurse practitioners, and PAs missed. So I went to a really good program. I think that they did a great job with that. Now, I was critical at the time because they were disorganized, but when I walked away, I was really well prepared for what I did. So you do a lot of hands-on right from the beginning. So compare that with a medical doctor or a DO. They do a four-year bachelor's degree in something that's medically related, right? This could be biology, chemistry, you know, um, general, you know, health, sports, physical science, I don't know, physical therapy, I don't know, whatever it is. But you can do a bunch of different stuff, none of which requires you touching a patient, assessing a patient, doing anything with a patient. 
you don't even contemplate that until you get to med school. Okay? So, so far there's four years to four years. Right now, equal. In number of years. Then you go and, and the, um, the med student may or may not work doing something. Whatever they apply, they get into med school. And now I was corrected by this individual. They said, it's not as easy as you said to get into med school. And I, I say, I'm still not convinced. I'm convinced that where you went to med school or where you're going may be really hard. The numbers he gave, I trust that, you know, so many people, so much percentage of actually get in and all that stuff. But I also think that there's so many people applying to every program that it's inherently more difficult for everything because the economy is such crap out there right now. People are trying to stay in school as long as possible, hoping that the economy will turn around and then they'll jump into the market and make a ton of money. So you're getting a ton of people doing that. Here's why I know that. The same thing with nursing. When I was when I went into my, my accelerated BSN program, my bachelor's in nursing program, there was like maybe half a dozen people on the waiting list to get in. Because it was an accelerated program, it was, it, there wasn't as many people doing that because they already had a bachelor's degree. But the nursing BSN without the accelerated one, the regular BSN program, there was like a huge waiting list just to get into that program. You could take the prereqs, but there's no guarantee you were going to get in. So there's huge waiting lists for nursing programs as well. So I, I kind of chalk that up as crappy economy, higher level of, of applicant pool. But I think at the end of the day, the cream still rises to the top. So 50% of those numbers that you say of people that applied are probably not the most likely candidates that are even going to get in anyways. They're not all 4.0s that have this, you know, it's not all the same. So I, I think there's a skewed number there a little bit. Now, do I think it's harder now than it was when my brothers got in? Absolutely. But it was the same thing with my law school. It's way harder to get into law school now than it was when I went. I'm the first one to admit it. It's much harder. But that's for all of these degrees. Because the people that are doing basket weaving are trying to get in, uh, realizing when they get done, oh, crap, i got to do something with my life. Now I'm going to go back and get my nursing degree, or I want to go become a doctor, or I want to go become a physical therapist, whatever it is. They're all harder to get in now. So I'm not trying to take away from that. But what I am trying to say is that the level of difficulty to get in to, to med school versus getting into nursing school, I don't think, you know, I mean, it's easier to get into nursing school. Don't get me wrong. There's no interview and all that stuff. But the, the point being is that that there's still the available opportunity. If you're willing to move, I think you could get in. I just do. I, I, if, as long as your grades are good, your MCAT's good, you got your your, your prerequisite classes they require all, and you got A's and all those, I don't think it's that, that, that hard. You just got to do it. You just got to want it. If you want to be a doctor, you can be a doctor. If you're not, you know, a C student. Or even a B student. You got to be mostly A's. I get it. So, um, so, but the, the big picture here with, with the comparison, so, so we're four years and four years. Then you have, what, three years of med school, right? Of which one year, at least the first year, is all didactic. There's no clinicals there. There's no, there's no rotations yet, right? I'm pretty sure it's only your third year. So first and second year, you're still stuck in books. So you still haven't even touched a patient. By third year, you've, you touch a patient. I mean, you got labs and stuff, I'm sure, but that, that's neither here nor there, right? You get labs in undergrad nursing, too. So, okay. So you're, you're through five years, six years, seven years of school before you even touch a patient. Whereas with nursing, you touch them in year one, year two. 
Now, is touching a patient the be-all, be-all, end-all of quality? I don't think so. No, I mean, you still got to know the material. You still got to learn it. But I think the more experience you have with touching a patient before you graduate gives you much better assessment skills. You see more things just from, just from the experiences of doing that. When did I learn the most amount of stuff? When I was actually out doing it, not in a book. Right? I mean, that's why we have clinicals, so you can learn it. Real life experiences, creating stories. Go back and listen to my podcast. I talk about that in the other shows. So, so you got two years of med school, then you touch a patient, and you got a third year where you're doing rotations. So here's the difference with NP school. So let's assume you don't work between graduating with your BSN, go work as an uh, RN, and then go to NP school. Let's just assume you go straight from your bachelor's in nursing right to your master's program. You do two years, right? You go do two years, minimum. Some of them are three. There's DMPs that are three. But most of them are two-year master's program for a, for a clinical nurse practitioner degree. And during that time, you have one year of, of didactic and one year of clinicals, usually. But it could be a little bit longer, a little bit less, but it, it comes out the number of hours. And the difference between medicine, med school, and nurse practitioner is this. The big difference. In med school, you don't pick what you're going to specialize in until you're done. Whereas with nurse practitioner, you kind of pick what you're going to do before you're done. You pick the program that's kind of geared towards that. You get your acute care nurse practitioner, which is for inpatient. You have a family nurse practitioner for general ages, outpatient, just that kind of stuff. General family practice and specialties and stuff like that. And then you've got your, you know, uh, nurse midwife. You've got CRNA for anesthesia. You've got these different specific schools. You've got mental health, psych. You've got women's health. So you got all these different degrees that you can get. So you kind of pick which one you want. So you're kind of getting your your med school equivalent, right? And your residency equivalent jammed together because you're you're cutting through all the the stuff that you're not going to need. You're going to go straight to the information that you want to know for that specific uh, patient population or that age group or that that setting whether it's in or outpatient. And that's a big difference because that cuts down on a lot of the fluff. And I'm not saying med school is fluff, but you ask my brother about things he doesn't remember from med school. And there's probably a longer list of things he doesn't remember than the things he does. Just going to say. Just saying. And he's very good at what he does. So when you do it that way and you look at it, so far we're only one year difference in schooling. You got six years of six years of education for a uh, nurse practitioner. You've got seven years of education for a med med graduate medical school. It's really one year difference. And and saying things like the NCLEX was made easier, saying things like um, you know this uh, the the level of education of what you're doing in this class and that class. Yeah, there's a lot of stupid classes in the bachelor's program that's mandated by the um, the colleges that's more for money making. What I would much rather have had more pharmacology, pathophysiology, and assessment in both my master's and my bachelor's. Absolutely. 
Would I have liked to have gotten rid of research and all those things? I think we could have com condensed a lot of it down. We didn't need to do a lot of it that we did. And a lot of the APRN classes, which are like the professional role and what, you know, what to expect, I think because of the diversity within our community, you need to have some of that, but it's not done well. That's my, my problem with it. But you kind of have to do it because if you don't know what your scope of practice is when you get done and you lose your license because you're doing something you're not supposed to do, that, that makes a big difference. That's why we have to take those classes. Compared to med school, you're kind of allowed to do whatever your residency and you know, whatever your, your, your certification does. So it's pretty clear cut. <laughs> the sky's the limit for a doctor. It's not that way for the nurse practitioner. So we have to do that. We have to figure those things out. We have to be educated on where where do you find this information? How do I know if I'm doing what's legal and what's not legal? Just walking the tightrope of being a provider between you know, a nurse that gives medications and a physician that does everything, we need to know what we can do. So that's a big, big, big deal for us. So the, the, the physicians out there saying, well, you know, well, you're wasting time taking all these extra classes. I agree. There's a lot of extra fluff in there. Do we need to have four APRN classes? No, I don't think we do. Would I rather have had more pharmacology? Absolutely. Would I have loved to have gotten more in-depth on something? Yeah, I would have. Only because I would have wanted to know it, not because I would have really needed it, though. I think that my education has prepared me well for what I'm doing now. I don't feel like I'm missing something. I feel like I'm able to spot the big problems. And the weird stuff, I'm either going to look up, ask somebody, or refer to a specialist, which is exactly what you do in most, most primary care settings. Now, if you work for the specialist and you're like, I don't know what to do with this, guess what you're going to do? You're going to talk to your, the doctor that works there, the collaborator in Ohio anyways. So there's a ton of stuff that was said in this text, this text string with me. And, I know I'm missing a bunch of it, but the, the, the main things that I'm, I was seeing in there was um, the, that um, this person really wants to understand what we do, and I applaud that. So I would, I would ask you to do it this way. The long responses through text, I can't read them. I just don't have the time. I, I, I spot check through them and kind of see what the questions are, and I, I just don't have the energy. These were very, very long comments. Um, so what I would encourage you to do is ask your questions. This goes for everybody. Ask your questions and then fill in the blanks of why you're asking the question. So you can ask me a question about a contract. I don't care. Whatever it is. And say, my question is, is about a non-competition clause in a contract. Here are the details. Boom. And then do your details because then, then I know, okay, it's a contract question. Because sometimes I read through and I'm like, I miss the question. I'm like, I'm not reading this again to look for a question. I don't see it. I don't know what, you're, what you want from me. So that, that was the only thing I, I, I struggled with with this, this communication. It was very wordy and, and it just it was too much. I can't keep up with that. And, and for me to type back and respond to everything, I can't. I just, I'm, I'm too busy. I don't have time to do that. But I will pick up my microphone and I will talk about it. So I, I hope that clarifies my perspective. Do I love physicians? I love some of them. I love my brothers. Um, I think there's some really, really good ones. But just like you said in your post or in your comment to me, there's really good ones of everything. There's really bad ones of everything. And I agree. Your very last comment to me was spot on. And I agree 100% with everything that was said there. Some of the things you said in there, I was like, eh, it just sounds really kind of derogatory. And so I would encourage you... Um, the more you work with nurse practitioners, as a student in, in a medical school, the more you work with nurse practitioners, the more you work with PAs, 
the better you're going to have to become as a manager. And that mean, means becoming better at communicating. And, and I don't care. I'm not saying you're bad at it. I'm just saying that, that no matter who you are, we can work on being better at it. I, me included. I, I'm not the best at all, by all means. And it takes a long time. Sometimes you say crap the wrong way a bunch of times, and then you realize, maybe I was wrong. <laughs> or maybe maybe the way I'm saying it is different than the way my brain is processing me saying it. And I'll listen to my podcasts every now and then and say, ooh, that didn't come out right at all. That's not at all how I thought I said it. It happens all the time. And so as, a, as an exercise, I would, I would encourage you to read through your, your posts and say, does this sound inflammatory? Am I trying to be inflammatory for the sake of being inflammatory? And you weren't, but I, and, and I wasn't offended by really anything you said, except for one thing. You said, why haven't you answered any of my questions? I have no obligation to answer your questions, dude. I, I just don't. Um, I like answering your questions, and, and I will, but I, I, I referred you to my podcast because there's a lot of it answered in there, and I just don't have time. I'm I think when I was going back and forth with you, I was mowing the yard. So every time I had to text back to you, I, I was stopping my mower and, you know, down the middle of the yard trying to get stuff done. So, um, you know, I encourage you to, to, to work on everybody. Work on your communication skills. Try to be polite and respectful of everybody. I don't care who you are. And um, just recognize the fact that we all come from different paths and that we all have different backgrounds. And, and just because somebody says something some way, you shouldn't necessarily be offended by it because maybe they just said it wrong and they really didn't mean it. So you got to give people the benefit of the doubt too as the recipient of information. And I do that all the time. I'll see somebody say something to one of my, my nursing staff at my office and they'll get all offended. I'm like, back down. It's all right. They're not feeling good, dude. Just relax. They just yelled at you because they're upset because their lab values came back weird and they just got diagnosed with diabetes. Back down. Or, you know, they just had a chest x-ray that showed that they had a nodule and they're scared and they don't know what the hell it is. And I don't either. You know? So back it down. So I tell my staff all the time, just relax. <laughs> Calm down. It's not personal. Don't get offended by stuff. I, and I, I have to I remind myself sometimes, this person's just scared. Or this person... When I was working in ICU, I got that a lot. People were violent. People were mouthy and mad and angry and bitter and didn't want to participate in their care. And a lot of times they were just scared because they didn't understand what was going on. So I spent a little extra time with those people, try to explain it, calm them down, make them happy. They'll tell you'll you'll win over more people by taking an extra minute just to explain what's going on and take your time with them. And and that goes with staff, that goes with patients, that goes with managers, it goes with everybody. It takes time, it takes energy. It's hard to do. It really, really is hard. And I've spent a lot of time doing it. And I spent it. I probably spent two years doing it wrong until I figured out how it worked for me, because I looked at my role models and saw people doing it wrong, and I tried it their way, and it didn't work. So that's what I encourage you guys to do. But that was a great, great response back and forth. And I know I was very short. I wasn't trying to be short at all. I just don't have time. I really don't have time. But send me specific questions. Keep them short, though. Like if I have to scroll and scroll and scroll through a text or through a message, I, it's too much, dude. I just can't keep up with it. It's just too much. It's too much information. I don't have time for that. And you don't either. you got more important things to do than chat with me that much. But I appreciate it. I really do. I appreciate you listening, and hopefully we can get some physicians listening and uh, at least understand our perspective. So that's fantastic. I appreciate it. And another one. This could be a little bit of a long show, but that, that was a fun one. I, it was really interesting. Just the, the perspective was really neat. Um, 
got a new this one was like uh just like my my typical <laughs> last last in first out type of mentality you know the last thing that hits my plate comes out first and that's kind of what i'm looking at right now and i got this one in just a little bit ago and i'm trying to look it up because i want to make sure i don't say anything wrong here and uh it's an ohio nurse practitioner i told her i was going to do this but i was going to tell her who i was that is um wanting to do bioidentical hormone therapy in their clinic and, and it's a it's a solely owned by the nurse practitioner clinic so there's no physician now you're still in ohio so you have to have a collaborative i hope you have a collaborative that's still still in the books we got to have a collaborative got to have that part um so here's the deal with any hormone replacement therapy if it's truly hormone replacement that is outside of the scope that you would have done in your practice of, of in your scope of education so like I'm family nurse practitioner if I give somebody Synthroid for thyroid hormone hypothyroid not a problem I can do that all day long if I it's a diabetic I can manage diabetes that's fine I can manage that too but if it's something that's more outside of the scope of what we were trained with in Ohio then you got to be really careful you got to be really careful on one on, on one front. This person's going to get some training, so that helps. That gets you in the right ballpark. But you want to make sure that your collaborative is also trained, because not only is your scope of practice limited in Ohio by the scope of of um, your ability. In other words, you go to that two-page PDF that's on the state. Board of Web, uh, the Ohio Board of Nursing's website, and it says that you can and can't do it based upon, you know, have you had so much training on it? Have you had checkoff sheets? Have you, um, do you feel confident doing it? There's a whole bunch of stuff that's there that requires, do you have a certification? Is it your education? There's, there's like, the, it's just a flow sheet. It's not real hard to do. You can, you can say yes to it pretty easily if it's in your scope of practice. But the problem is is that in Ohio, we're still bound by the scope of practice of our collaborative. And so if you're still listening, um, medical student, if you're still listening, and I'm going to call you that because I don't want to say your name, um, that's a big frustration for us. That's why we want full practice authorities because we may have been trained on it in our schooling. We may be more than competent to do it, but we're not allowed to do it because our collaborative is limited to their certification. So say for example, here's the situation. Family nurse practitioner, go through school, graduate, pass my family nurse practitioner practitioner uh, certification exam, get licensed with the state. I go work for um, endocrinology, now let's do another one. Let's say dermatology. Say it's dermatology or endocrinology, I don't care, it doesn't matter. Any specialty or subspecialty, rheumatology, something like that. And that rheumatologist, that dermatologist, whatever, you have a patient that comes into you and says, I've got a sore throat, I've got sinus infection that seems like it's pretty, you know, pretty bad. I've had it for 10 days and I feel like crap. I got fever and chills and it's pretty obvious it's bacterial. Would, would that physician give an antibiotic to treat that? Now, if you're, if you're derm, you might, because it's kind of the epithelial cells. You might be able to say that. But if you're endocrinologist, you're going to say, no, you need to go to stack here, go to the ER if it's that bad, or you need to make an appointment with your family practice nurse practitioner or provider, whatever. And the problem being there is that, that, that NP was like, man, I could just give them some, I'll give them some augment and knock that thing out right now. Uh, uh, pfft, done. Done and done. And they can write the prescription. It's well within their scope but they're limited by the scope of the physician, right? 
And so it, it, it doesn't seem to make sense in a lot of instances. Now, would you do that anyways? You probably wouldn't because you want your your family practice nurse practitioner to know that you got sinusitis and you need to be treated. So the political side of that would be even if you were allowed to do it, you should probably tell them to go see their see their family practice. But maybe their family practice doc isn't going to see them for a while or their nurse practitioner is not going to be able to get them in this week. And they're going to suffer for another week. You can see they're there now. I assessed them. I could put it in my chart. It's done. There's no. It's, there's nothing illegal about that. It's well within my scope. I could just knock that out real quick. Help this patient. Make them feel better. Isn't that better care? It's better care. Saves another copay. Saves another insurance claim. So it goes from a nine nine two one three to a nine nine two one four. So it's twenty bucks instead of a whole new charge, which is another fifty or sixty bucks. It saves insurance, it saves money, it, it just makes sense, right? Well, you're not allowed in Ohio. You can't do that. So the, here's the problem with the, the hormone replacement therapy issue is if, if your collaborative physician isn't skilled, isn't trained to do that, regardless if you are, you're not allowed to do it. Not in Ohio, not right now anyways. Still not there. So that's why we need to get rid of the collaborative. And, and another thing about the collaborative, I know I'm going to digress a little bit, just to help educate the, 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 the um, non-nurse practitioners out there. The collaborative agreement doesn't set, set your, um, your ability. All it does is, or your scope necessarily, it does set your scope somewhat in Ohio. But, but here's the issue. It, here's what I'm trying to get to. It doesn't establish really any major guidance beyond what you're already getting. You should be able to call on a, a more experienced practitioner, whether they're a provider, to, to help you with your stuff. That's the whole point of being in business. You need to have those contacts, those, those assistant, um, those people that, to assist you with your decision if, if you don't know what to do, clinical stuff. But this is a mandate that they check your charts. And it's just, it's, a, it's, it's redundantly not needed. It's just not helpful. It's, it's not getting things done. Now, it's used as a crutch a lot to keep nurse practitioners in their places, quote-unquote, and not let them go to their fullest extent. And those are the physicians out there that are, that are not taking advantage of the opportunity. That is nurse practitioners and PAs. I mean, you, you want to you decrease your efforts in practice and, and make more money. I mean, that's the whole idea. You're in this for, to make money, not your only main reason, but that's, that's what you're doing. You're working. You need to pay your bills. You want to spread that around a little bit, you make a little bit more, and you do less. <sighs> Makes sense to me. Anyways, all right, so you, you need to make sure with the hormone replacement stuff, um, this, this title of this thing, I had to look it up because I've, I've, I'd never heard of it. It sounds a little bit like a niche market thing, um, and I'm sure it's pretty, pretty valuable and pretty, kind of cool, but this... Um, bioidentical hormone replacement, basically what it comes down to, from my experience, I'm going to oversimplify this, so if you have more information on this, exactly what you're trying to do, let me know, but what my understanding is, is this is, um, for people that just feel like crap, because they're getting older, and their hormones are out of balance, whether it's male, whether it's female, it doesn't matter, and this bioavailable um, hormone therapy is basically your hormone replacement therapy, which is BHRT, instead of just HRT, comes down to um, a bunch of different types of tests and stuff. They do saliva, urine, and all these different things, and look for different markers, and then they dial in different doses of different hormones to kind of bring you back up to your fullest potential. 
And I'm guessing not much of it's covered by insurance. So it's kind of like Botox injection type thing. It's a nice niche. And there may be a lot of people where I'm working. There's not a single person I know that would even go go near it. Not to say it wouldn't work. It's just they're all Medicaid. So they're not going to pay cash for this stuff. But if you're in the right market, this might be a great niche market. I applaud you. I think it's awesome. I'd like to learn more about it. Um, so whatever seminar you're taking, email me that back. <laughs> email me, jeff at dmpdude.com, and tell me which one you're doing. So what... Um, the other question was, if you do, if you are allowed to do this, this hormone replacement therapy, I'm going to just call it hormone replacement therapy to oversimplify. What do you do? I mean, as far as the medication is concerned. So the formulary, here's another issue. The formulary as of right now doesn't allow nurse practitioners to do a lot of the endocrinology hormone stuff other than like basic Synthroid and, you know, diabetes medications. But hormones themselves, um, birth control and stuff we're allowed to do. But anything more complicated, we're not really allowed to touch it. So the question is, is what is the CPG, which is our our, uh, Committee of Prescriptive Guidance, going to be doing with the the new formulary? It's supposed to be coming out. Allegedly, it's limited to anything that's lawful by federal law is what, what I saw on Facebook, but that was a post of a post of a quote of a quote of a quote, and, and who knows if it was done right. But that's allegedly what it is. So the, the, the CPG may be saying you're allowed to do this now. I don't know. we got to wait and see what it says. But as it sets right now, or as of the previous, you know, I, I tried clicking on the formulary on the website for Ohio Board of Nursing, and I, it was like 404, file not found. So it's broken. They're trying to upload it right now. And that was that way all day. And I even I was checking the formulary before I even got this message. So that's how I knew about it. I checked it again after to see if it was there. And it's still not there. So you got to check what the formulary says. Can we even do it that way too? So let's assume that you can do, your collaborative does it, you're trained, you feel confident, you feel it's within your scope of practice, um, and we'll assume that it is. And then uh, the CPG says you're allowed to do it. What do you do? How do we handle this? The, the question becomes, do you want to store medications on site or not? And if you're going to store medications on site, now the, the Board of Pharmacy rules kick in, and it's kind of a pain in the ass. And I've looked these things up in the past because I wanted to make sure that our samples that we were keeping, we were in compliance in my office. I was just curious. And, and everything seemed like we were on the up and up with that. But I don't know about hormones. I don't know if there's any specific rules through the for hormones. So to be safe, what I would do is I would have the prescription sent Uh, send in the prescription to the pharmacy, have the patient pick it up, bring it to the office, you can verify what it is, and then you can give it. And the reason I say that is because, number one, if you have to keep on hand very expensive hormones and they, they need to be refrigerated or they have to be maintained and you don't use one for a while, you might lose a shit ton of money just in, in expired medications. So I don't know if I would do that. Now, if you know you're using the same estrogens over and over and over again, or you're using the same testosterones or the same thyroid hormones or whatever it is, then maybe I would I would consider it and then do the research. But I would just have to play it safe. I would build my business model around having the patient pick it up at the pharmacy and bring it in. Now, here's the deal. You're in a niche market that's cash only. These people want this. So your, your repeat business is going to happen. Just from a, a business standpoint, they, you know they got to follow up for repeat labs. They got to get new, whether it's IM injections or more treatments, whatever it is, it's going to happen all the time. 
So I would be less fearful about them disappearing on you as a patient after you've sent in the script and say, well, they, you know, I called in this expensive medicine, they never picked it up. So what? The pharmacy eats it or they send it back, right? Or they use it for another patient until you pick it up. They can, they can recycle that until it gets out of the, the pharmacy. So I think that would be the, the way I would do it. Now, is it legal? Can you do it legally and, and have it in your office? You very well may be able to. I would imagine physicians can do it. If a physician can keep it in the office, a nurse practitioner should be able to as well. I don't think that the, the, um, there's a delineation with respect to physician versus nurse practitioner in the Ohio uh, rules from the pharmacy board about storing medications. The only thing I know about would be opiate-related. Like, you have to have a physician own the practice, and you have to have a physician, um, you know, dispensing the, you know, or uh, mandating dispensary or something like that. But you would become a dispensary if you were to do that. If you were to buy the medicine, put it in stock, and then dispense it. I I wouldn't do that. I I just would avoid it. Now, if you get so much, so many people that want this as a, you know, this is a big part of your practice, then maybe I would just to save them the trip. But I wouldn't do it at first. I would just ease into that one and make sure that you're you're getting enough client base to do it. Because chances are, you're probably going to have a handful of people doing it, and then we'll see what the results are. And then if it's good, word of mouth will spread. You can you could take off. But I don't know if this is just a gimmick or not. I don't know. So, anyways, that's enough on that one. But I thought it was a great question. It's really neat. It's different and weird, and I appreciate those weird ones. So keep those weird questions coming to me, guys. You can always email me, jeff at the npdude.com. Catch me on Facebook. PM me there. You can PM me personally. This is how this person got me was through my personal page. Um, iTunes, guys. Listen on iTunes and tell your friends. Listen on iTunes. It's a great way to listen to the show. You can always go and look at... um, the main i2 store and give me a uh, rating on there i've got a couple uh, more i think i got I don't know, 12 ratings now on there and uh only one four everybody's fives so i still don't buy it i'm not that good i'm just not that good i know my limitations so give me a real and true and honest rating i you know i don't care if it's a three i just want to know why it's a three tell me why why you're doing what you're doing and uh you guys have a great week it's a monday it's kind of warm out but it's uh, a little overcast. i got to go get ready for a baseball game. We're going to have some fun tonight. We're going to have fun tonight. So you guys have some fun, too. Don't take life so serious. Try to learn something new. And have a great day. We'll talk soon.